0: The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to UUSF.org.
1: Because the stone you were asked to select is key to this morning's sermon and ritual. If you did not pick up a stone, please raise your hands so we can get you one. Okay, and are the ushers back there to bring the stones forward? (laughs) Okay, raise your hands high if you did not get a stone. If you're at home, run outside and grab one really quick. (laughs) Thank you, Lucy. Thank you, Julia. And then I think there's just a couple over here. All right, so set them aside for just a few minutes. I need to preach a little bit and then we'll get to the ritual, okay? (laughs) Reverend Leslie Takahashi writes, we return again and again to the season of forgiveness. And each time we come, we come bearing gifts, a grudge to relinquish, a hatred, to extinguish, a hope that has bloated and distorted, a glancing word that has wounded. Each time we walk the road toward forgiveness, we mutter, we have been here before. When will we remember that forgiveness is not so much an act as an attitude? Not so much a duty as a love we give ourselves as part of the ever-unfolding new beginning. Not so much an act as an attitude. Yom Kippur is the time of year Jewish people look for reconciliation between each other and with God. Ten days before Yom Kippur, it is custom in Jewish tradition to look back over the past year and make amends with those those you have offended by seeking forgiveness. Yom Kippur itself is the day to seek forgiveness from God for any vows that may have been broken. By admitting your wrongs and taking responsibility for them, by making amends, you are brought closer to God. In our story today, the big bad wolf felt the struggle, constantly telling himself he couldn't change, and yet he found change by changing his attitude and how he encountered others. By no longer seeing his community and his neighbors as food, he helped where he could and saw them as community. It is humbling to come face to face with our own imperfections, our own humanity. It is even more humbling to admit those imperfections to another and ask them for forgiveness. Our struggle comes when we truly believe we can't change and someone else can't change. This is how we start to hold on to burdens of anger, resentment, hatred, or hurt. The bitterness stays with us and it festers, creating its own wound in our soul. We heard this struggle in Daniel's reflection a little bit this morning. Thank you, Daniel. Oftentimes, we would rather ignore and forget where there has been harm, where we have been vulnerable. We would like to hold on to those grudges together against another because it makes us feel justified justified. In Forgive for Good, a proven prescription for health and happiness, psychologist Fred Luskin writes, in careful scientific studies forgiveness training has been shown to reduce depression, increase hopefulness, decrease anger, improve spiritual connection, and increase emotional confidence. Luskin continues, "Quote." hanging on to anger and resentment, living in a constant state of stress can damage the heart as well as the soul. In fact, research has shown that failure to forgive may be a risk for heart disease, high blood pressure, and a score of other chronic stress-related illnesses. Medical and psychological studies have shown that a person holding on to anger and resentment is at an increased risk for anxiety, depression, and insomnia, and is more likely to suffer from high blood pressure, ulcers, migraines, backaches, heart attack, and even cancer. The reverse is also true. Genuine forgiveness can transform these ailments. In other words, we may feel justified but we are not healthy, end quote. Forgiveness offers us a chance for us to let go and start to heal. Forgiveness allows us to let go of the power another has over us. Forgiveness opens us up to transformation and healthier living. I want to be clear, very clear here. I'm talking about the internal process of letting go, the one that drags us down, drags down our soul, burdens our heart, and eats at our spirit. I am not talking about reconciliation. Reconciliation is the reparation of relationship between a person harmed and the person who harmed. This is done through mutual agreement of the parties harmed. And sometimes it is not able to happen, and sometimes it's not safe to happen. You can forgive without reconciling. Those observing Yom Kippur in the period of the Jewish high holidays think of forgiveness as a time of atonement, a time to reflect on and understand where they need to repair a relationship. They take an accounting of their imperfections and where they have harmed. I would offer, there are times in our own lives we are meant to offer forgiveness to those who have wronged us. Or we are meant to ask for forgiveness for those, from those who have wronged... Who? Let me circle back around. Or we are meant to ask for forgiveness from those who we have wronged. And sometimes sometimes we need to offer forgiveness to ourselves for actions we've taken that we have harmed ourselves. In the book of forgiving the fourfold path of healing ourselves and our world Archbishop Desmond Tutu and his daughter Tutu they remind us of the following. When we forgive We take back control of our fate and our feelings. We become our own liberators. We don't forgive to help the other person. We don't forgive for others. We forgive for ourselves. Forgiveness is the best form of self-interest. This is both spiritually and scientifically. The reasons for forgiving ourselves are the same as for forgiving others. It is how we become free of the past, it is how we heal and grow, it is how we make meaning of our suffering, restore our self-esteem, and tell a new story of who we are. If forgiving others leads to an external peace, forgiving ourselves leads to an internal peace. So those rocks, those stones, I ask you to put them in your hands, if you don't have it in your hand already. And just start to feel the stone. You might be attracted to the places where it's smooth and gentle, but I invite you to look for the places where it might be just a little more jagged and sharp. Feel the pits and the cracks that may be easy to miss with the naked eye. Feel its balance or lack of balance, its weight in your hand. Thich Nhat Hanh invites us to imagine a pebble thrown into a river. And as it sinks through the water effortlessly, detached from everything, it finally reaches the bottom, the point of perfect rest. We must be that people, letting go of our anger so that we can land at perfect rest. As you feel your stone, find those places of rest in the stone. And as you encounter them, reflect on where you're holding on to anger. Resentment, hatred, fear, and bitterness. Let these each find a place of rest in your stone. Reflect on the people in your life who have harmed you, knowing there is still a decision on whether you will be in relationship with them or even consider reconciling. I invite you to let the emotions you're holding on about the harm to find a resting place in your stone. Bring to mind the people in your life you have harmed, and knowing there is still repair work to do, find a place of rest for the guilt or the shame you carry about the harm in your stone. Think of those times when you have been angry with yourself and held on to shame or bitterness for what you should have done, what you could have done. (sighs) Listen to your own heart and find the places you can let go of them. Let them find a place of rest in your stone. Let each of these places where forgiveness is possible find a resting place in the stone in your hand. Let them lift from your heart, your soul, and your spirit to reside in a piece of the earth. Feel the weight of them and the weight of the stone and no longer on your person. And as this weight settles into the stone, let your heart break open to receive the healing that comes with forgiveness. this bowl symbolizes our sacred space a space where we can share one of the true human conditions the need to forgive and be forgiven as you feel moved to do so and when you are ready to let go i will invite you forward to place your stone in the bowl and as you feel your burden lifted i invite you to say i let go and begin again And love if you're not ready to let go of the stone or if you're home and watching online I invite you to listen to your heart and spirit to determine when it is time to find a place of rest then find that place it might be your garden a place in the woods by the water or anywhere that speaks to you and let it rest if you need someone to gather your stone for you then please indicate by raising your hand and Daniel will collect it for you. I invite you now to come forward if you are ready to place your stone in the bowl and say, I let go and begin again in love. Rebecca Parker reminds us even when our hearts are broken by our own failure or the failure of others cutting into our lives, even when we have done all we can and life is still broken, there is a universal love that has never broken faith with us and never will. After the service today, I will bless these rocks with water from our water communion and place the stones outside in our garden where they will find a perfect place of rest and the care of our community. I invite you into a closing prayer. Spirit of love, this morning we pray for forgiveness that we may learn to forgive others and accept their forgiveness of us. We pray for forgiveness of our own actions. Help us let go of fears so we can move on, opening our hearts to one another. We pray for empowerment that we may learn to love more fully. We give thanks for the blessings of love in our lives and for the chance we have to love again and begin again. May we feel the love inside us connecting with the love in each other and the universal love that holds us all. Amen.
0: The first Unitarian Universalist principle, the inherent worth and dignity of every person, has always appealed to me. But because I grew up UU, my understanding started shallow. I think if you asked me what it meant in sixth grade I would have said, don't hate people because everyone matters. That's a good start. But as I grew up and also became more aware of UU-rooted activism, I realized that the first principle gets harder than just not being prejudiced or even affirming the worth of people who have done me mundane wrongs. The first principle affirms the worth and dignity of people who have committed grave wrongs, of people who themselves live in complete opposition to UU principles, everyone. It does not preclude us from demanding accountability or setting boundaries, but it does ask us to remember that murderers and racists are in fact people who deserve empathy and rights. This relates to the fact that many UUs reject the death penalty in all cases, and that the Unitarian Universalist Church of the Larger Fellowship ministers to thousands of incarcerated people by mail. Internalizing this harder version of the first principle was a challenge for me. So much of our society's discourse encourages us not to see the humanity of anyone who we have labeled as bad, whether due to horrific and illegal acts or because they have opposing political views that we view as harmful. As a young adult, I learned about the concept of restorative justice, that our system of incarceration in this country is so horrific dehumanizing and counterproductive that even some people who have suffered crushing loss from crime have sought an alternative to just locking up the perpetrator. This felt like another incarnation of that first principle. This unfortunately became more real for me a few years ago. About a month and a half into the first COVID lockdowns in early 2020, Someone I knew, Courtney Brousseau, died. He was walking home in the mission and through terrible luck found himself in the middle of a drive-by shooting. This really impacted me, especially because everything was already so dark and hard back in May 2020. The fear was also amplified by the fact that I had walked on that block hundreds of times before so it really could have been me. As I processed this tragedy, I was furious that America has done nothing about our gun problem. I struggled to make sense of the irony that someone I met through public transit activism was shot from a car. But years grappling with the abstract ideas of the first principle and criminal justice reform prepared me not to get sucked into feelings of anger and vengeance towards the perpetrators. Instead, I found myself lucky, uh, reflecting on how lucky I am not to even be able to imagine the life that leads one to gang violence. While I knew that my friends could only be bystanders, the perpetrators and their loved ones have likely been targets of similar shootings. I don't want Courtney's killers locked up. I just want them to find their way to a life where they don't have to hurt people to get by. I'm definitely not perfect at accessing this empathy and grace. There are lots of people who I honestly struggle to see the full humanity of, like hateful politicians. And I'm sure that my feelings would be more complicated if I had lost someone very close to me. I had only met Courtney maybe a handful of times. But while it still makes me sad to think about Courtney, I do think that not harboring hate or a desire for revenge has helped me to move on and for the most part, forget about the loss.